Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello, welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkoff, back after a couple of days on the road, and I am joined by Chris Cottonware. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing okay. Uh, despite the outages to all the internet, it's been frustrating for many people. I know for you, we need to talk you in off the ledge to do this podcast. Uh, it's very hard in a world in which we depend on connectivity. Um that's why everybody's so, you know, freaked out, by the way, about the, the idea that the Russians have some electromagnetic pulse weapon that they can go and launch in space and knock out all the satellites. That was the big national security buzz from last week, because everybody knows that if we didn't have satellites, we wouldn't know how to get anywhere, and we couldn't talk to each other, and everybody would go crazy. Uh, right, Riley? That's Riley Fessler, our other co-host. That's right. I, I would certainly be the first to go crazy. Well, you have a head start. Uh, so, Chris, what's your first story? Uh, given the internet outages, outages, I'm actually going to lead with this Chinese hacking story, not to feed any conspiracy theories, um, but leaked documents from a Chinese state-linked hacking group, iSoon, reveal Beijing's extensive cyber espionage activities targeting foreign governments, companies, and infrastructure, exploiting vulnerabilities in software for major companies like uh, Microsoft, Google, and Apple. Um, the leak surfaced on GitHub. Uh, GitHub is a community of um, coders uh, where uh, they share and, um, uh, you know, have projects going. Um, you know, this is a little concerning as we wake up today with what appears to be a nationwide outage uh, for AT&T on my own home internet. 
this morning was down, um, was completely offline. It's been a bit sporadic. I'm not suggesting here the Chinese are, are infiltrating our infrastructure. Um, but at the same time, there's been pretty much uh, only a, a line by AT&T saying, yes, we're aware of the outages and we're working to address them. Um, but this has been going on for several hours from what I can ascertain. Uh, nonetheless, a, a pretty uh, a striking um, and jarring story. Riley, he was connecting the two, wasn't he? I mean, it's not, you know, there's no connection, but he just but wanted might, to connect be. the two. He wanted an expert. He wanted, this is, this is what we try to avoid in journalism. I used to, <laughs> I used to run a media company and, there's this one guy who's like this great journalist, but he never wanted to do the whole story. So he would go in, find three facts that implied something might be true. And then he would write, you know, draw your own conclusions. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like, the same way. D- d- I, I, don't draw your own conclusion. Yeah. I, go I, on. I listened. Sorry. I was listening to uh, the, the daily blast this morning and then, uh, Greg Sargent's guest was um, David Axelrod, and he actually used, um, you know, he said, you know, Alexei Navalny's murder, which, you know, you you can certainly draw those conclusions, um, but it was the first time I'd kind of heard it being stated by by the media. Well, I don't know. I've said it was murder. I don't think other people have said it was a murder. Uh, everybody should listen to that podcast. Personally, I would never have had David Axelrod on because I think he's a big jerk. Uh, and I think he's been attacking um, Biden unfairly. But, you know, that's how we work here. You know, we've got a bunch of independent hosts who come up with great outside guests, and we give you great perspectives. Riley? So a uh, new report uh, shows that two U.S. officials have kind of warned that Ukraine is going to face a critical shortage of ammunition and air defenses by the spring, uh, potentially shifting the war further in the balance of uh, Vladimir Putin. So we've kind of had this deadline before uh, when we were talking about getting the U.S. funding through. But it seems like now, uh, these, at least according to these two anonymous officials, late March is a particularly crucial time. Uh, we've already seen the war pretty dramatically shift uh, with the fall of Avdivka, uh, the first kind of big Russian victory for quite a while in this conflict. Uh, as a reminder, the U.S. has provided Ukraine with $44 billion in aid since Russia's invasion. But it's important to note that Russia has spent $210 billion, according to some estimates. Um, so clearly a lot of bang for buck there as Ukraine was wildly successful while receiving consistent U.S. funding. So again, it's just a reminder that the results of the delay in this funding by House Republicans and MAGA Republicans is only going to get worse, and Avdivka is only going to be the beginning if we can't get this funding through. Yeah, well, Avdivka is not really there. You know, it's just a completely destroyed, empty city. There's not one single building standing. This is the Russian tactic. They don't actually gain cities which are habitable. Um, They gain big piles of rubble, and they don't really care. Um, uh, one, you know, the late March is one month from now, uh, today being the 22nd of February. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think having seen the deterioration, if they're saying there's going to be an even greater deterioration in a few weeks, that's very worrisome. Uh, 
But one of the reasons it's worrisome is that the United States Congress and the House of Representatives, which have been the obstacle here, have another problem to deal with. They have a government shutdown looming when they get back from their break, and they're going to have three days to solve that problem. And if they don't solve that problem, then the government's going to shut down. And the U.S. is going to have economic issues, and it's going to have other kinds of domestic issues, which will be a distraction. And surely they will say, oh, well, until we resolve these domestic issues, we can't deal with these international issues. It's a very, very rough situation. Um, And uh, I personally take a little bit of exception to people who say the Republicans are being dumb or the Republicans are defending uh, the Russians. They're not defending them. They're working with them. They're not being dumb. They know what is going to happen. They hear these warnings. They get the intelligence briefings. They choose to help Russia defeat Ukraine. That's that's very different. Chris? I feel like uh, a broken record uh, with this story, but um, Israel continues to just bombard uh, Gaza and Rafah, airstrikes, um, last night um killed a number of uh people um talks are ongoing between egypt uh hamas and israel but the demands of each side have not changed um israel is requiring the release of 100 hostages hamas is demanding that there be a stop to the hostilities um again i I, I, you know, we, we complain about internet access and, you know, being down, these people are facing like real dire circumstances, living in tents, um, with nowhere to go. And, uh, seemingly, um, nobody, despite all the talks and overtures, uh, there to, to step in and help, um, it is dire. Uh, at some point uh, today, tomorrow, the next day, uh, the total death toll in Gaza, the credible one that people um, are, are tracking, is going to pass 30,000. Um, that's horrible. Um, but if you listen to our, our Mothership podcast on uh, uh, yesterday, uh, where Jeremy Kaneindike, uh, head of Refugees International, was talking, uh, there is a looming humanitarian crisis there where people are going to start starving to death any minute um, uh, that could double that toll. It's it's horrible. Um, I, I haven't been around for the past couple of days because I've been traveling, but uh, uh, I, I wrote an article that appeared two days ago in the New Republic with our friend Alon Pincus on... Uh, why the the Biden administration, which we believe is excellent at foreign policy generally, uh, needs to change this policy completely. Um, and uh, 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 the incremental steps are not going to fix it. The reality is picking Bibi Netanyahu as a partner was a huge uh, mistake. Giving him carte blanche was a huge mistake. Um, and, uh, uh, time's running out to, you know, fix that in a way that's got an appreciable benefit. We need to do it now. Riley. 
So shifting gears a little bit, uh, Japan's stock market has reached a new record high for the first time since 1989, uh, with the Nikkei index closing at 39,098.68 points. Um, so we've talked about, we talked the other day about how some economies are kind of approaching recession, but Japan's economy is booming, uh, due in large part, uh, according to this article that I read, to kind of AI. Um, a lot of Japanese firms are big uh, in terms of semiconductors uh, um, and a few other factors contributing to this, but just kind of remarkable to see such a huge boom in Japan. And it kind of shows how AI and kind of these other emerging technologies are going to affect some of these more high-tech economies and really propel them forward. So it's great to see for Japan. Uh, hopefully those benefits kind of spread throughout uh, Japanese society. There has been a big AI-related run-up in the U.S. stock market as well as Japanese stock market and in other stock markets. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Um, the AI revolution, such as it is, will have more immediate positive benefits on developed countries and, and frankly, on a handful of developed countries that have access to the chips, um, the power, and the brain power that they need in order to compete in this new world, other countries may fall behind. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of development experts are worried that that you know the AI boom may, at least initially, possibly permanently, exacerbate inequality between rich countries and poor countries, rich people and poor people, rich corporations and ordinary individuals, uh, because having access to the best of the technology, which gives one a huge advantage financially, militarily, uh, uh, economically, um, is so costly. Uh, so it's, 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 it's certainly something to watch. Obviously, Japanese recovery is a good thing uh, in a variety of different ways, benefits to Japan, also the shoring up of an important partner in the counterbalancing of China in Asia. Um, uh, but uh, you know, as we watch the uh, AI boom, keep an eye out for the fact that it may be a double-edged sword. Chris, Attorney General Letitia James has stated that if Trump can't pay his massive four hundred fifty-four million dollar fine, uh, that they would would um, uh, potentially seize uh, his properties. Um, it's been reported that his cash reserves might, you know, cross. I mean, remember, he has the $83 million settlement uh, with Eugene Carroll and numerous other lawsuits pending. Um, my question, of course, here is uh, it had been reported previously that he was using campaign funds to pay his legal bills. Is he allowed to use campaign funds to pay his fines and is is that an option i know he's hawking sneakers and you probably had bought a pair uh david but yeah. um yeah that's fine but he has to sell a lot of fucking shoes to, <laughs> to, yeah to no he out. sold out he sold he sold out of those gold sneakers um uh i i i don't know the answer i don't believe that you can actually use campaign funds to pay fines um uh, he has used reportedly $50 million of Republican campaign funds to pay legal fees. Um, and that is clearly a number that is going to go up. 
Uh, what makes that particularly striking is that Republican fundraising is way down. Um, in fact, if you take the net intakes and, and the net outflows of the GOP in, in the month of January, they actually lost money out of their reserves. While Biden has been hitting fundraising records, um, uh, both uh, uh, you know at the DNC, also the Biden-Harris committee, uh, and they have record amounts of cash on hand, I think uh, approaching $200 million dollars. Um, uh, between all the accounts that are out there, uh, so uh, this 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 is a a big deal, um, and many people speculate that you know siphoning money out of Republican coffers to deal with his legal issues is one of the reasons that Trump wanted his daughter in law, Lara Trump, um, uh, to uh, be the co chairman of the RNC. Uh, because the idea is that if, as co-chairman of the RNC, she can help make decisions that guide that money to Trump, um, uh, that will be beneficial to him. Of course, there's a side effect, and she made a speech yesterday in which she said, all the money raised by the RNC will go to the Trump campaign. Well, obviously, there are people running for the Senate and the House that would like some of that money. Uh, and if the, the Republican Party, totally dominated by Trump, becomes totally about Trump, it also increases uh, the likelihood of uh, defeats from underfunded campaigns um, for uh, the Senate, the House, and key state seats. So we'll have to watch that. Riley? Well, I wanted to end on a positive story because I feel like we haven't been able to in a little while. Um, today is the, going to be the first U.S. attempt at a moon landing in over 50 years. Uh, this is part of kind of NASA's program where they are looking to private companies to kind of build and operate spacecraft. Uh, today's attempt comes from Intuitive Machines, which is a Houston-based company, uh, and its spacecraft Odysseus, uh, which will be attempting this uh, lunar touchdown. Uh, it was launched by a SpaceX rocket last week and has been orbiting the moon but uh, it would be the first controlled descent to the lunar surface by u.s spacecraft since apollo 17 in 1972 and it would also be the first commercial soft landing on the moon so two pretty big steps um this is part of nasa's artemis lunar program which is kind of aiming to send astronauts back to the moon and use it as a stepping stone for mars missions and I think just the private aspect of this is especially interesting. And that's something I think to watch moving forward is the role that private companies are going to play in space travel. Um, I like it operating under NASA's supervision, but I can't imagine that that will stay that way forever. So I think it's interesting. Hopefully it's a success. We'll see where it goes from here. Hopefully it will stay under NASA's supervision because while an exploration of space, you know, um, uh, may create some commercial opportunities. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see our objectives be guided by national interests and international law and priorities um, and not by a few corporations run by a few rich guys trying to get rich. Um, uh, having said that, uh, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of a period of re-engaging on things like getting to the moon or getting to Mars. And I think over the next 20 years, we're going to see uh, a lot more traffic like this, some commercial, some guided by governments, some guided by the fact that there are 
many governments now, uh, the Chinese, the Indians, the Japanese, uh, the Emiratis, and others, who actually have pretty active space programs, the Russians, of course. And um, and this is good. You know, when I grew up and I was a, a kid, you know, we the, the space program was the thing that filled all my time and my dreams, and I had this sense that this was what the future would be about. And we just stopped, you know, we just, we just stopped in the seventies. Um, and, uh, uh, it's, it's exciting to see it come back. Um, it's exciting to see it come back online. Um, well, you know, it's good to end on a positive note. And, uh, we, uh, we of course have other, uh, great, uh, um, uh, things in store for you on our podcasts uh, beyond the ones that I've mentioned that we've done. We've got one coming up today with the one and only Dahlia Lithwick, the best observer of the Supreme Court, to talk about some big looming cases in the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, uh, we've got, of course, this podcast again tomorrow, the Daily Blast again tomorrow, and our uh, We're All Gonna Die radio podcast uh, again tomorrow, and they're doing some great, fascinating things there. Um, on the intersection of technology and defense-related issues. So keep coming back for more. We'll keep coming back for you. Until then, bye-bye.